Deuteronomy chapter six, and we want to talk about God's best for us. Deuteronomy chapter 26. And, uh, you know, this time of year, especially after we've just come through the holiday season, we often give gifts to one another and we want to encourage people. Perhaps we want to tell them how much we care for them, how much they are loved by us. And so we share these presents. You know, uh, I'm sure the whole tradition started with a wise men who shared their gifts with the Lord Jesus when they came and visited him when he was somewhere in the neighborhood of two years of age. You remember, it's not at the time when the Lord was in the uh, stable is when it's when he was in the house. The scripture specifically states that. So it took place not when he was a babe, but as the scripture says, when he was a child, Matthew chapter two tells us this. The wise men had seen the star, a special star set up just for them. Otherwise, the whole area would have seen it. So they saw that star. It led them to the Lord Jesus. And there they were. And it says, when they saw him, they bowed down and worshiped him, not Mary, but him, and then opened their treasures. And that's the perfect order, isn't it? Uh, Proper worship. Proper worship is when you first acknowledge the Lord, then you open your treasures. And that's the order. A lot of the people in the world today who don't know the Lord think, well, if I bring my treasures, if I give money to the church, the Lord will look favorably on me. And uh, I might have a place in heaven, that type of language. That's not the way of salvation. The way of salvation is bowing the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, acknowledging who he is and him alone, no one else, him alone, and then uh, opening your heart and treasures to him. And that's when those are received. Well, that's what we often do. We give presents to those that we care for and we want to show our care and concern. But God wants to remind each one of us that he has a care for us. He has an interest for us, and he has the best for us. And so by now, you should have found Deuteronomy chapter 6. And look with me at verse 23. There's two verses that really I want to take a look at this morning. One is here, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 23. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Oh, that's right. I didn't tell you what chapter today. Chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 23. This is what God is saying to Moses, who then reiterates it to the nation of Israel telling about the work of the Lord. Then he, God, brought us out from there that he might bring us in. Let's stop right there. He brought us out. Moses is telling the children of Israel, God did, brought them out, that he might bring us in. Brought us out where? From where? Well, that's Egypt, the land of bondage, the land of false gods, the land of slavery. He brought us out from there that he might bring us in. In where? It's into the promised land. The land, as God said in uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, land flowing with milk and honey. God had given wonderful promises to the nation of Israel. He gave them privileges. He gave them responsibilities, but he also gave them those promises. And those promises were you go into the land of promise and you go possess that land. And when you come into that land, you'll enjoy the land. Anywhere your foot comes down, you're going to enjoy that land. But they had to be obedient to the Lord. And that's what we'll be talking about in this message. So it's a great verse for all of us to keep in mind. He brought us out that he might bring us in. And that's a key verse that's here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it is, in a sense, a culmination of what Moses had said to the children of Israel. The book of Deuteronomy is really literally the reiteration or the repeating of the law. So the whole book here is just a reminder to the nation of Israel. In order for you to experience the joy of the Lord, 
in order for you to really enter into what I have for you, you certainly have to be obedient to the scriptures. And so that is what Moses is reminding that God had said to the children of Israel. And it's a great reminder to us as well. Because the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that he's brought us into very many spiritual blessings. Ephesians chapter 1, if you look at it carefully from verse 3 all the way down to verse 14, there are a number of different scriptures that tell us about the promises of God that he has for you and for me to really enjoy the so-called spiritual land he brought us has brought us into. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, it says in verse 3. And so those are spiritual blessings, not physical. I don't have any right to claim that God will give me a brand new house, a Cadillac, a camp, uh, you know, woods in the, uh, rather a, a camper or a, uh, you know, a, a cabin in the woods or anything like that. He hasn't promised me physical, but he's promised me spiritual blessings. He's promised me the fact that the Holy Spirit will come and dwell within me, within anyone who trusts the Lord Jesus as Savior. And the Holy Spirit will guide and direct and he'll comfort when we need comfort. He will teach us and remind us of the things of Christ, John chapter 16. That's the Holy Spirit. We have the companionship of Christ. When Paul was in the prison there in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he talked about it. He says, nevertheless, even though all the people deserted me, nevertheless, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Isn't that great to know that the Lord is with you? He'll be with you wherever you go. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13 reminds us. So that's a spiritual blessing, the companionship of Christ, the permanence of the Holy Spirit, spiritual ears and spiritual eyes to see and to hear the word of God, the fellowship of believers, part of the church, sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, the permanence of our salvation in Christ. All these are wonderful blessings that God has given to his people, and it's the inheritance that we have in him. And so here the nation of Israel is reminded that God brought them out from bondage and out from Egypt to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. And God has brought you out of a aimless, meandering life outside of Christ, without hope, without God in this world, Ephesians 2, to bring us into spiritual blessings so that we can say we're united to the God of heaven and Christ is the captain of our salvation. And the Holy Spirit is there to lead us and to guide us and remind us of the word of God. And your heart has been opened so that you can see and hear and understand and comprehend spiritual truth. So that you don't have to endure a mediocre Christian experience, but you can bring forth fruit to God, that which is pleasing to him. That's what God wants for each one of us. As someone wrote it, the normal Christian life, the normal Christian life is just what I described, not a low level point of living. And so Moses had to remind the nation of Israel, the people of God at that time, that this was the standard. This was the normal life for them to be brought in. And so that's what I want to consider this morning. We'll be looking at a couple of scriptures in Joshua chapter one, but right now I want to take it specifically uh, take a look at another verse in Joshua chapter 13. So let's go to Joshua 13 first. Joshua chapter 13. And look with me at one verse there. <clears throat> now, I always like to come in and give a nice encouraging word to the people of God, right? Maybe this is an encouraging word. Maybe this is an ouch, right? You always heard those ouch messages. 
we're not trying to make this an, a painful experience, but look at chapter 13 and verse one. Chapter 13 and ver- uh, chapter 13, verse one. Joshua was old and advanced in years, probably a hundred years of age at this point. And the Lord said to him, Hey, Joshua, you're old and advanced in years. God's uh, just reminding him about that. And there remains very much land to be possessed. Now, again, he might have been about 100 years old, 90-something. Who knows exactly the age? But you see that verse as we enter into the new year? You're moving along in life. And you're not getting any younger. The clock moves forward. It doesn't go backwards. And there's very much land to be possessed. All the messages, all the sermons, all the YouTube videos, all the books you've read all through the years. I've said to myself, Mark, you should be a lot further along than you really are. There's a lot more land to be possessed. And it should speak to each one of our hearts here in this room this morning. A lot more land, a lot more spiritual territory that we need to put our foot down on. You know, we might be thinking, hey, this is the spiritual life. And it's like someone who goes on a hike and they say, wow, this is beautiful, you know, uh, scenery, beautiful territory. And they get over the crest of the hill and there is even a more outstanding view and more lush scenery and all the rest. And it can be that way in the Christian life too. Going along year after year, going along in the pattern that we've established perhaps in our own walk and saying, well, this is the Christian life. You know, the Lord is good to me and he is. And then you do some wrestling with the Lord like Jacob did at Peniel in Genesis 32 and have a real experience with the Lord. And all of a sudden things look a little different. For Joshua, rather for Jacob, in Genesis 32, uh, the Lord had to touch the hollow of his thigh. That was where his strength was, right? His legs. He, whenever he got into a problem, he would run from the situation. God finally did business with Jacob, and Jacob then had a limp. But the scene is so beautiful there at the end of Genesis 32. Jacob is walking away with a limp, and the sun is shining on him. It was an experience that happened through the night hours. The sun is rising. <clears throat> the sun is on Jacob. He's going back to address the issue that he had with his brother Esau. And it's a great uh, hinge point. It's a great uh, landmark in his own personal walk with the Lord. And then from that point on, Jacob was no longer called Jacob the you know, heel catcher, Jacob the supplanter. That's what it means. From that point on, Jacob was prince with God, Israel. He had an encounter with the Lord in his own personal walk with him. And it meant all the difference in the world. So you're old, advanced in years, and there's much more land to be possessed. Well, what's that land? What's all about that? You know, what does that mean? Well, let's go to Joshua chapter one now real quickly. And I think I might have <coughs> addressed this some time ago when I was here, but like someone said, It was a good message that you gave a long time ago. It's worth repeating. It was a bad message and you can improve on it. So here I am in Joshua chapter one. I'm not sure if I gave it or not, but let's go to Joshua chapter one. In Joshua chapter one, 
has uh, some of the details of what it means to go in and possess the land. When the nation of Israel stood at the brink of the Jordan River and they were about ready to go into the promised land, there's only two people that were part of that group from the original group that left. Uh, and they were Joshua and Caleb, right? Those two people. And they had that victorious message. Let's go in to this land of promise. That was 38 years before. When they're at Kadesh Barnea, they had been two years already in the wilderness. God wanted to bring them through the wilderness experience to test them and to try them and see what was in their hearts. The scripture tells us that's exactly the purpose that God had for them when he went into the land of the wilderness. But when they had the opportunity to move forward, they shrunk back. And in fear of the Canaanites, they said, these uh, Canaanites were like grasshoppers in their sight. You can read all about this in Numbers chapter 13. And so the majority report that came back, 10 of the spies said, we can't do it. We're like grasshoppers, can't do it. It was as if they were saying, God's not good enough. He's not strong enough for us. And because of that attitude, of a defeatist attitude and a failure in faith, God chastised them and they wandered for 38 years. So if anybody comes to you and says, how long did the children of Israel wander in the wilderness? Your knee-jerk response immediately should be, 38 years, not 40. They sojourned for 40 years. They wandered for 38. The first two years were disciplinary in the school of God to teach them the lessons of life and faith. It's like a brand new believer who are just, just learning the things of faith. God brings them through different trials to remind them you have to cling to the Lord. You have to hold on to the Lord. You need to trust the Lord. But when some of those lessons were learned already, they should have moved forward, but instead they fell back. And so for 38 years, they wandered. But now they're on the brink of the Jordan River. Moses had just died. It says here, Joshua chapter one, look with me at it. Verse one, after the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, arise, you, Joshua, go over this Jordan, you and all this people to the land which I'm giving to them, the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, as I said to Moses. Verse 4, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea, that's the Mediterranean, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. So God is giving a very clear instruction to the people of God, time to move forward and be finished with this experience, this low living, lackluster, semi-half-hearted existence in the things of God, move ahead. You got to cross this Jordan. Now, sometimes we sing a song on Jordan's wistful banks, I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and beauteous land where my possessions lie. And they make it as if Jordan is death. And when you cross Jordan, that means when you die and go to heaven. That's not what the scripture teaches. The pattern here of the scriptures is Jordan represents that crucial point, that pivotal point in your life when you finally say enough with this and let me move on in the things of the Lord. Following the Lord, because here, in Joshua chapter 3, you'll see the Ark of the Covenant, which reminds us of the person of Christ going through the Jordan River and the people of God following. 
And so it's a great ex- uh, experience for us. And so the first thing that comes through in verses one through six, topped off with this phrase, be strong and of good courage, for to this people you should divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. And he's basically saying there is indeed a land to possess. Now, for the nation of Israel, who is a separate entity in Scripture, back in the Old Testament, theirs was a physical land that God had promised. Take that spiritual principle and concept and apply it to the Christian in the New Testament. It's not physical blessings, as we quoted from Ephesians 1.3. It's spiritual blessings in heavenly places, not heaven, in heavenly places, in the spiritual realm in which we live uh, and walk before the Lord. And so there is indeed a land to possess. And this is the key thing to comprehend in the understanding of scripture and uh, application of spiritual principles to your walk and to mine is that indeed there is a spiritual land to possess. There are things that we have been given by inheritance by the Lord that we can enter into now and appropriate these things in our lives if we live according to the conditions that God has given to us, mainly obedience to the word. Because we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, we have an inheritance reserved for us in heaven. That is indeed the case, an inheritance in heaven, where we'll see Christ in his full glory. We'll know as we're also known. We will be free from sin and sickness and death and all that. You had a funeral here yesterday. You're reminded of that, the brevity of life. All those things are passed away. Behold, I make all things new. Revelation 22 tells us that. So the things of time and sense and the things that make us cry and the things that make us hurt and the sorrow, those shadows will all flee away. We'll be with the Lord in glory. Isn't that a wonderful thing? But until then, God has given us the spiritual resources to tap into to make sure that we are going the right way, enjoying his presence, assured of his salvation in us. It's a wonderful inheritance. Back in the 1930s, there was an Indian tribe called the Osage Indians, and they were a poverty-stricken Native American tribe. And the government, according to the rules of the government at that time, decided to give them some property, some land. And so they parceled, parceled out some land to this Osage nation only to find out in a very short time there was oil underneath the land that they were given. And because the Osage nation was given this property, it was a gift they were given it to, it was given to them by the government. The government was obligated to share the proceeds of all that oil that was underneath this land. And so the Osage nation was one of the richest group of people in America at the time, 1930s. Many of them owned two or three vehicles when the rest of the country was still riding around horse and buggy. It was a gift that was given to them, and they entered into the proceeds of this gift just because they were on that land. What a great spiritual picture that is. You or me, we don't have any right to heaven except we have it in Christ. We don't have any right to have these blessings brought to us 
But like it was with Mephibosheth, 2 Samuel chapter 9, Mephibosheth had nothing going for him. Bad legs, couldn't walk. And yet David wanted to bless the house of Saul for the sake of Jonathan, for the sake of another person. And so he asked the servant, who would that be? He says, well, there's Mephibosheth, but he's lame in both his feet. Go get him from me. And here is Mephibosheth figuring, this is it. It's curtains for me. What happens? The one who is guilty, who is part of the sinful house of Saul, he's brought into the banqueting house that David had prepared for him. Feet are underneath the table, never to see his feet, sitting there as one of the king's sons. You read that passage, 2 Samuel chapter 9. That picture is like you or me. Outside of Christ, never deserving anything, and yet because of God's gracious favor, pictured by David's uh, reaching out to Mephibosheth, you and I, God reached out for us and brought us into his banqueting house, and his banner over me is love. That's what the scripture says. And so he's brought it, been, we've been brought in out of this horrible existence into blessings. That's what God wants to remind the people of God. You've been brought out, so you might be brought in. Brought into what? Brought into the blessing that God has for us. And so they understand that and run that through the grid of our thinking to understand that we indeed have a land to possess is actually a real blessing as we contemplate and think of that. Secondly, there is a law to obey. And that's found in verses seven through nine. In order for these things to be activated, if you will, actuated in our lives, verse 7, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do all according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to it from the right hand or the left that you may be prosper wherever you go. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. Not partial success, but good success. Have not I commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you when wherever you go. A law to obey. Obedience to the word of God. A good understanding, the scripture says, have all they that do his commandments. If you want the blessing, you have to follow the blesser. If you want the blessing, you have to st- follow his word. You have to obey his word. If we say he is our savior, and then we don't regard his word, you don't read his word, how can you expect to come into the blessing of following him? It comes down to the fact that you shall make your way prosperous. What do you mean? We have salvation is by grace alone. That's given to us by God. That's right. But discipleship, you will make your way prosperous if you obey the law of the Lord. <clears throat> Psalm 1 says it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that shall not wither. His fruit shall, he shall be fruitful in season, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's what the Bible says. You don't need special seminars. You don't need special you know, counseling or anything, just read the word for what it says, obedience to his word. And so indeed, there's a law to obey. And that's what seven through nine tell us here in Joshua chapter one. It's the prerequisites for entering 
the land of promise. That's what Israel is told. There's a spiritual parallel in the life of the Christian. In verses 10 through 15, there's a lesson to learn. Now, here in verses 10 through 15, we're told that there are two and a half tribes that say, no, we're okay. We can can do it. We're good. Everything's fine with us. What's their story? Well, verse 10, Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the camp and command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourselves. For within three days, you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land, which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Verse 12. And the, to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and all the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God has given you rest and has given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed all your mighty men of valor and help them. Verse 15, Until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you, and they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. There's a lesson to learn. And what is that lesson? Well, that lesson that these two and a half tribes had to learn the hard way you know, some of us learn the lessons in the school of God the hard way. And forget that verse in First Peter, it says, if need be, you're grieved through various trials. The need be passage, right? The need be phrase. Maybe God, if you're obedient to his word, doesn't need to do that in your life because you're voluntarily saying, Lord, I realize that if I obey you, there may not be that need be that the scripture talks about. But these two and a half tribes, basically, in effect, and you can read it in the book of uh, Numbers and in the book of Exodus. When they went into the land, or about to ready to go into the land, they said, you know, this, this, is good, this is good enough for us. They settled on the east side of the Jordan. And the east side of the Jordan, there were still luscious fields for grazing, for cattle. It was right on the brink of the promised land. It was close, but not in the promised land. They had to cross the Jordan to get in the promised land. Now, the Jordan area with the river opened up the whole land. And God said, that's the land you want. And they got to the edge and they said, no, this is good enough for us right here. We're happy here. We're content. And, you know, for a lot of Christians, they are content with the life they're living. They got a nice home. They're comfortable. They got a retirement. They got a pension plan. They got their retirement set up. They're okay. They say, this is fine. There's no problem. We're happy here. But you know, not quite in the land, but close enough to it. And Moses had to come back and says, no, you know, you need. we're all a unit here, this nation of Israel. We got to go in. Everybody's together. We have to fight the battles. We have to secure the land. Now, if you want to come back and enjoy this side of the Jordan River, you just go right ahead. That's your prerogative. You can do that. But instead, you want to get the full experience of the promised land, the first ripe grapes, which were so big, it took two men to put them on a pole and carry them. That's how big they were. If you really want the land, you want to go in. 
But if you're content just living on the border, that's your decision. And that's what they did. But be it known that if you're on the border, you're also in the area where the enemies of Israel, that's where the area they would come through and they would attack Israel from the north, right in the path of those two and a half tribes. You can read about it in other passages of scripture, but when uh, Tiglath-Pileser, a big name of a king uh, from Assyria, attacked the nation of Israel, they hit the two and a half tribes, and it says in First Chronicles, I think it's chapter 5, check me on it, but that's the two and a half tribes they took away when they attacked Israel. They, in other words, the two and a half tribes spoken about here in Joshua 1, these verses were right in the way of the enemy attack. So no wonder they ran into problems. They weren't fully obedient. They were partially obedient to the things of the Lord. And that should speak to your heart and mind. And we're all guilty in some way or the other. We who live in a nation saturated with movies and TV programs and everything else, we're influenced and affected by the culture around us. And Paul called it a wicked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, at least we should. But sometimes, truth be told, we are affected by it and it has a way of dimming our witness. And so these two and a half tribes did in fact get affected by the world around them. And, you know, they are the Gadites, if you notice here, it's described the tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of Reuben and the, and the tribe of Gad, half tribe of Manasseh. Manasseh was such a big tribe, there was half of the tribe. Half the tribe of Manasseh, Reubenites, and the Gadites. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, and you see that the Gadarenes were the descendants of the Gadites. And what happened in Gadarene? That's a demon-possessed man. He's running amongst the tombs. And eventually those demons went into the herd of swine pigs pig farmers the gadites that was abhorrent to a jew something got lost there was a disconnect there through the generations maybe because the gadites here in joshua chapter one says hey this is fine for us but they forget the long-range implications of compromise something for us to keep in mind so a lesson to learn from this portion here in Joshua 1. Finally, a leader to follow. Verse 16, they answered Joshua, saying, all that you command us, we would do. And wherever you send us, we will go. For just as we heeded Moses and all things, so we heed you. Only the Lord your God will be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command does not heed your words. In all that you command shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. Now that's Old Testament be put to death, all that stuff. You know, we're not looking at that because we're in the New Testament age of grace. But the concept is still here. Obedience to the one who leads us. Because in this spiritual picture that we have here in Joshua chapter one is another picture also with Joshua. But Joshua wasn't sinless, but his name is Joshua. That's the Hebrew form of Jesus. Jesus is the Greek word for Joshua. So Jesus and Joshua are the same names. And just as Joshua is the captain of the Lord's host and he's leading the 
nation of Israel into their inheritance, so too believers in the New Testament have a leader, the Lord Jesus, who's the captain of our salvation, who always causes us to triumph, First Peter, Second Corinthians chapter 1, causes us to triumph and leads us into our inheritance. And so just as the nation of Israel is reminded to follow their leader, so we are reminded in the New Testament to follow the one who is our leader, Christ, into our inheritance, obeying the word of God, reminding of the lesson us ourselves of the lesson that is cited here in Joshua chapter one with these two and a half tribes and understanding there's a land to possess. Important lessons for all of us. And so that's what God gives us to in this word that we have before us here in Joshua. And that great reminder again from first Peter chapter one and verses four and five, that we have been brought into an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Salvation is received from the Lord and we're kept by the power of God. And I can't help but think of Peter's experience there in Matthew chapter 14. He is on the boat with the rest of the disciples. They're going through a trial. We go through trials. The wind and the waves battering the boat. We have the wind and the waves of life battering our boat. Making no progress as they're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Making no progress in the middle of the issues of life. Feeling all alone and frightened. Feeling all alone and frightened. And then the Lord shows up in the midst of that trial. And the Lord shows up in the midst of that trial. And he said to Peter, come out of that boat. Follow me. And the Lord says, come out of that boat and follow me. And Peter gets out of the boat and he sees the situation, begins to sink. His faith begins to fail. And we step out of our comfortable environment and we see the issues around us and we begin to fail and get frightened. And the Lord catches Peter by the hand and lifts him up. And the Lord catches us by the hand and he lifts us up. And he brings Peter to safely to shore along with the rest of the disciples. And he brings us to shore and our desired haven where there are those around us who've been praying with us. And the testimony of those around us says, surely you are the son of God. And we come back on a growth step in our life. And we say, surely you are the son of God. You've come through. Faithful is he that calls you, who also will do it. And that's what the Lord has done for you and for me. He has brought us out that he might bring us in. He's saying to you this morning, you're getting older. And you're advancing in years. And there's much more land to be possessed. Powerful lessons from the word of God. That's why the Bible stands the test of time. It speaks to the issues of life. And may the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts here today as well. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that the words that are spoken would indeed sink down into our ears and into our hearts that we might apply it to our lives, even today. Thank you, Father, for your grace and for your mercy. 
Thank you for your love for us. We pray your blessing upon each one here, everyone within the listening of this message, wherever it may end up, wherever it is today, that you would indeed speak to our hearts. We ask these things, giving thanks in our Savior's wonderful name. Amen.